There's a print that hangs in my office just above my desk. It's by the artist Brian Andreas. It's one of my all-time favorites. And it has a quote on it, and it says this, Anyone can slay a dragon, but try waking up every morning and loving the world all over again. That's what takes a real hero. Every time I see this quote, I am reminded of my grandfather, of the many, many ways that he loved this world and was and always will be a hero for me. It wasn't until his memorial service at the age of 93 that I learned more about my grandfather's full story. It was only then that I heard about his experience as a soldier in World War II. We knew that he had been, of course, we saw his uh, uniform still hanging in his closet. My brother and I would take a peek at it when we would dare to go into my grandparents' bedroom when we were playing hide and seek, and we'd see it in there. We knew that my grandparents had come over to the United States from England soon after the war had ended, but other than that, we didn't know much. When we asked him about it, my grandfather would say, I'll write it down. I don't want to talk about it. So it was that after his death, we each received a copy of his autobiography, carefully typed up with newspaper clippings and translations and maps in it so that someday, I think, we might find our way back through his memories and maybe even through his footsteps to the places and the moments that formed him. Through reading this autobiography and listening to stories, I learned that my grandfather had served as an officer in the British Army during World War II, and that during his first months in battle, he had been captured and shipped to Germany as a prisoner of war. In his writings, he said that his morning meal there in the prisoner of war camp consisted of a cup of brownish coffee water and a piece of bread with margarine, The evening meal came around four o'clock and it was a piece of sausage or a piece of cheese. He worked alongside his fellow prisoners building and maintaining the camp that they lived in under the watchful eye of the German soldiers. And because my grandfather was an officer, he was often called upon to maintain order among the other prisoners. For three years, my grandmother received no word of her husband. And for three years, my grandfather was held in a faraway, unknown place, shrinking slowly into a shell of his former self. But confined there, my grandfather and his fellow prisoners came up with a plan to keep one another sane, writing on whatever they could find and reaching out and talking quietly amongst themselves at night. My grandfather and his fellow prisoners decided that they would start an informal school and teach one another. One man taught chemistry, another knew about medicine, one man taught German, an incredibly useful skill, and my grandfather taught math. Through their days and nights together, these men cared for one another, teaching and learning, doing their best to save their own minds and hearts and one another in the midst of a very difficult situation. When my grandfather was finally released from camp, He returned to England and, as we heard, he walked from one side of London to the other, looking for my grandmother. Since he'd been gone, the city had been bombed, of course. The place where they had lived together was no longer there, and my grandmother had fled with her mom and with the child 
that my grandfather didn't even know they had had together out to an outlying home. When my grandfather finally found the house that my grandmother was in and he made his way up the walk, his dog appeared and the dog didn't recognize him and started barking and carrying on, ready to attack because my grandfather was so unfamiliar. My grandmother came to the door overwhelmed and astonished to see the man she thought she had lost. She welcomed him in, and in time she nursed my six-foot-tall and then 95-pound grandfather back to health in her own small but very important way. She went about the work of repairing the world. Soon after, the two of them made their way to America and began anew. They arrived here in the States without much, and the coffee table that he built from their shipping crates will forever exist in my mind when I think about them. They created a new life here, away from the bombed-out city, away from the tragedies they had known. They arrived in Baltimore and were soon surrounded by the family who had come first and the new friends that they made. They held dance parties in the basement of their home. They made their way together here and found happiness. My grandfather had this way of building anything that anybody needed. When the grandkids arrived, we were each the recipient of a unique handmade gift. He built a working space shuttle for my cousin that was complete with a dial for time travel and switches and lights that turned on and sounds. My brother got a homemade ramp for his matchbox cars, and I got a dollhouse with tiny furniture that he made, each little piece, and with a working light switch in every room. After retirement, my grandfather stayed active by teaching at the local senior center and the community college. And he didn't teach just anything, he taught German. Out of the most devastating experience of his life, my grandfather took an appreciation for the language for the culture, for the camaraderie of his fellow prisoners. When I asked him about why he chose to hold on to the language, why he kept it fresh, always finding conversation partners, he told me that he never wanted to forget the beauty of the countryside, of the language, or the culture from his time in Germany. Hearing his voice in my head now, I think he was trying to say that he wasn't going to let the bad parts of his experience there take all of him. He was going to find a way to hold on to the beauty wherever he found it, and he was going to hold on tight. He was teaching me to go on loving the world no matter what. We are here to love and to serve the world. This is what I believe, this is what I believe my grandfather was teaching me. Loving the world doesn't always come easy. In the midst of death and despair, in the midst of war and violence, in the midst of lives lost and lives transformed by the imprint of violence or systemic injustice, it can be hard to see the beauty. Hard to open our hearts to the joy and suffering of the world hard to see past the destruction of it all, but that is exactly what we are called to do. I remember talking a few years ago with a friend and a colleague who served for 20 years as a naval commander before entering the ministry. When it comes to Memorial Day and Veterans Day and how to best remember and memorialize our troops, he is the one that I turn to. And as we talked, he reminded me of something important. 
We have to tell the stories of those who lived, he said. So often people only want to remember the dead on these holidays, but the dead soldiers would never want this. They died so that others could live, not so that we would remember them. They died so that others could go on with their lives and wrest beauty from impossible situations. They died for a cause greater than themselves, and this cause, the cause of freedom and justice, of selflessness and service, hope and possibility, that is what they would want us to remember today, my colleague said. So as we approach this Memorial Day, as we stand at the gravesides remembering lives lost, just as Walt Whitman did so many years ago, with the sounds of bugles and drums, with the moon offering its light, we can give what we have. Our hearts can give love. And this love, this love asks from us not just our sadness, not just our appreciation or our remorse, but it asks for our action as well. It asks for our service. We are here not just to love, but to serve our world, each in our own way. And if our hearts are open, that call to service sounds loud and clear. It was the first time in my life that I decided to assume responsibility for something greater than myself. That's what the author wrote. As a young man coming of age in America, blessed with the best in education and opportunity, this was the first time that words like this had crossed his lips. Surrounded by a me-first culture that emphasizes individual success and comfort above all else, it was the first time it had really occurred to him, he says, to assume responsibility for something greater than just himself. It's a point that we hope that all children will reach, isn't it? A pinnacle that many of us are aspiring to still, to care, more, to care about more than just our own individual lives, to reach out past our own needs and wants to heal this beautiful, broken world. And it's not just something we hope for, it's a very real step in our development. The psycholo psychologists of the world would all agree on this point, that it's a step in our development, a critical evolution in the move towards self-actualization to look and act outside of just ourselves, and sometimes to act even outside of our own best interest. You may have heard the psychologist Abraham Maslow putting it this way. First, we focus on meeting our own individual needs for safety and security, but then as we grow and mature, as our needs for safety and security are met, we turn outward, discovering a sense of purpose and devoting ourselves to a cause greater than just ourselves. When we reach this stage of growth, Maslow says that we become self-actualized, and self-actualizing people are, he says, without one exception, involved in a cause outside their own skin, in something outside themselves. They are devoted, working at something, something which is very precious to them, some calling or vocation in the old sense, the priestly sense. Reaching out beyond ourselves, assuming responsibility for something greater than our own individual lives as the young author did, it is an act of spiritual growth and development. No spiritual life can be complete without a larger sense of responsibility, without commitment paired with action to making this world a better place. The writer and religious scholar Karen Armstrong reminds us that all the great religious traditions agree on one central point. 
She says the one and only test of a valid religious idea, doctrinal statement, spiritual experience, or devotional practice is that it must lead directly to practical compassion. Our spiritual communities must call us to engage in acts of practical compassion, acts like caring for our families, our students, our elders, our enemies, and ourselves, if they are to be any true religion at all, she says. Compassion, action, and a sense of responsibility for more than just ourselves are the hallmark of spiritual living. So when we hear the words of the young author, the man who said that he made a decision for the first time in his life to assume responsibility for something greater than himself, it would seem easy to agree that in taking on a greater responsibility in the world, he has reached a new level of psychological and spiritual growth. But here's the catch. The young man I'm talking about this morning is Donovan Campbell, author of the book Joker One, a Marine Platoon story of courage, sacrifice, and brotherhood, a best-selling account of his time in Iraq. You see, Donovan Campbell was a junior at Princeton University when he decided to set aside a life in the private sphere and apply to Marine Corps Officer Candidate School. His decision, as he says, to assume responsibility for something greater than myself, something that would force me to give back, to serve others, translated for him into a platoon command position on the streets of Ramadi, where he served and fought and led his troops through one of the most lengthy and difficult and casualty-producing battles of the Iraq War. Through his writing, Donovan shares his experiences, and they are full of the violence and brutality that war entails. He spares nothing. And I bring him up today because his words and that one simple phrase brought me up short when I read it. I decided to assume responsibility for something greater than myself, something that would force me to give back to serve others. As a congregation that so often stands for peace, it can be difficult to understand the call to military service that so many feel and follow. But Donovan's clear words helped me to understand more. Those simple words woke me up and they deepened my understanding and respect. Put simply, he joined the Marines because he wanted to assume responsibility for something greater than himself, to give back, to serve others. And this is a call that I think most of us can not only understand, but even aspire to in our own lives. As we live and grow, we understand more and more the call to be of service and the call to be of use the call to be of help in transforming the suffering of this world to restore beauty and possibility and freedom, this call to take up responsibility for something greater than just ourselves. And I know that we will do this each in our own way. For some of, it, for some of us, it is about joining in military service. For others, it is about being in the streets in protest. For each of us, we will find our own way to hear the call to love and serve our world. Our expressions of authentic service are likely just as varied as we are as human beings. What is important is not so much exactly how we are called to serve, but that we are called to serve and that we answer when the calling comes. The minister emeritus at the church I served previous to this one had a great phrase. He would say, you know, many are called, but most are frozen. <laughs> many are called, 
but most are frozen. How will it be for us? Will we hear the call, and then will we act or will we freeze? If we are committed to living a spiritual life, there is only one answer here. We will move. We will step forward with courage. We will discover the greater purpose that exists beyond our individual lives, serving a common cause that is greater than our individual wants and needs. We will not be frozen. We will move. To love and serve this world, to grow in understanding and purpose, to recognize that which is common among us and to turn our lives to the service of the greater good. That is the calling. So today, we say thank you. Thank you for examples of lives of service. Thank you for stories of suffering told that we might not repeat them. Thank you for tales of lives redeemed from the depths of despair. Thank you for beauty wrested from evil. Thank you for lives given to an ideal that may not have even been experienced, that ideal of equality and justice and freedom which so many of our soldiers fought for when they didn't even get to experience it at home. Thank you to each and every person who answers the call to serve us with courage, offering themselves up to the greater good. And on this day and this weekend, when it would be so easy to only see the destruction of war, may we rest beauty from it all. With the night falling, let us say thank you. With our mouths full of food looking up at the sky, let us say thank you. With us standing by the water, looking out in different directions, back from a series of hospitals, back from a mugging after funerals, let us say thank you. After the news of the dead, whether or not we knew them, let us say thank you. Over telephones, in doorways, in the backs of cars, and in elevators, remembering the wars and the police at the back door, let us go on saying thank you. Let us say thank you and wave, dark though it is. May it be so, and amen.